Hey everybody, welcome back to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. We're excited to have uh, Scotty Smith back on the podcast with us today. We're about to get to that interview, but first let me just remind you about our other podcast channels. Uh, We're excited that we've relaunched our student podcast and we have several episodes out as those drop on Tuesdays and Thursdays with uh, short three to five minute devotionals from youth workers all over the United States. We hope that that's serving your students, uh, serving parents as they can hopefully utilize those and really just anyone needing a a three to five minute Devo in the morning. Uh, Sometimes I know life can get crazy and we might miss our morning quiet time. And so this is something that we hope can can assist those who are, who are busy and uh, can share gospel truths uh, with them as they start their day. Uh, we're also hoping to relaunch Parenting Today before too long. Kurt and I have had one conversation and we have some ideas of where we'd like to, to go. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, for now, here's my conversation with Scotty. Hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, I'm excited to welcome back today's guest, Scotty Smith. Scotty, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's a gorgeous day in Franklin. I'm actually watching hummingbirds in my backyard and butterflies. So, oh wow, it doesn't get much better view. than that, huh? No, not a bad view. I had friends in Montana that woke up to 24 degrees yesterday, and another friend that was in Denver. When it was 91, the next day it was 33. So <laughs> I kind of like what we're having right now. Wow. Yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah, well, our regular listeners will know that Scotty was with us on episode 298 as we discussed ministry relationships. And, and Scotty, I've got to say, I almost called you Reverend Scotty again, but that threw you oh, off last yeah. time. <laughs> no, no, you'll get busted if you do that. So, so yeah, I left the, the rev off uh, this time. Um, and look, before we get into questions, I know you recently released two studies through New Growth Press. I believe both of those were on Ephesians, if I'm not mistaken. So well, One's on Ephesians and one's on Revelation. Okay. So, uh, we, uh, yeah, I, I, both of those books have been central in my story in terms of coming to understand the uh, enormity of God's grace and the unfolding of history redemption. So I'm very thankful that they have recently... Uh, published and released those two gospel-centered studies, and I'm uh, winding down, halfway through now, writing one on First John, which I'm excited about as well. Yeah, yeah, excited to to see those and check those out. I love that that series that New Growth Press is continuing uh, to put out. It, aren't those in the gospel-centered life series? Is that uh, correct? Absolutely, with your uh, commentary on Mark. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, I was definitely uh, honored to be a part of the, the student series. Um, I, I love that they're continuing to put those out. So thanks for yeah, being a part of that and uh, looking forward to those those new books coming out. Uh, well, well, our listeners know that this season seven has been entitled COVID Discipleship. And we've been asking youth workers, okay, how are they ministering to students in the midst of this uh, You know, this insane time? What, what's been working for them? What hasn't been working for them. And today is kind of shifting the focus a little bit to those actually doing the discipling, uh, helping us kind of do some some reflections on those in the trenches, so to speak. And so, uh, you know, last time you were on, Scotty, we were just entering into this coronavirus season. And I don't think either of us would have had a thought that we'd still be here in September. (laughs) I know we we kind of joked in that uh, that last podcast that, you know, hopefully we were still going to have our summer conferences. And obviously those did not happen uh, this, this summer. 
Um, and so a question I've been asking everybody as they've uh, been coming on is how has the Lord been challenging you and encouraging you through this COVID season? Well, great question. And you're absolutely right. We had no clue where this uh, snarky virus uh, <laughs> would take us. Darlene and I were actually from May 4th through August 15th, we're supposed to be in Northern Ireland, Spain, Montana, Alaska, and Canada. Oh, wow. And, and a lot of great ministry ops, a lot of great travel, a lot of great food planned. And of course, all, every one of those trips went the way of COVID. But through that, uh, John, uh, several things have happened for me personally. Number one, it really has been actually good for my soul to slow down and not be in as many airports or airplanes. Mm. I would say that one of the most um, um, important aspects of this season has been um, just just more time of uh, contemplation, uh, more time of, of actual one-on-one -on -one ministry. Now, mm. as an introvert, sometimes I'm more comfortable standing on a platform communicating to a lot of people than one-on-one face-to-face discipleship. But I have actually in the last, I'd say four months, five months, done more one-on-one -on -one mentoring, whether it's uh, walking through my neighborhood with my uh, AirPods in, whether it's FaceTime, whether it's Zoom. And, uh, you know, that's been really good for me. I think sometimes I've not so much hidden behind the Mac, the microphone and platform, mm -hmm. but just realizing how, um, how vital it has been to walk with people in different settings, uh, nurturing, listening, encouraging, uh, being on the other end of those calls as well. So from the get go, let me say, I think that a, a different pace has been good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's something I don't want to be in a hurry to get out of again. So I'd, I'd start there. Yeah, just a, a, an unexpected disruption that has brought some depth and uh, some really important redefining and focuses of discipling. Mm, yeah, you, you said it for sure. Just the the redefining focuses and, you know, the disruption. So many have said, and I've definitely said this as well, that there's been some great aspects to, to this entire virus. And I'm say that wanting to be sensitive that this is a very serious issue. And there have been those who have lost life. And so I don't want to make light of that by any means. Uh, but as the Lord has brought this, you know, difficult providence about, it's been um, encouraging uh, to see how it's been a gracious gift in, in a lot of ways uh, for his people to reevaluate life and ministry and relationships and so many, many things. So I would definitely echo uh, what you're saying. Um, and, and, and Scotty, too, I know, I'm sure you've seen you know, many articles that have been written as well as podcasts about just pastoral burnout during this, this pandemic, that there's been so many pastors that are uniquely struggling in ways that are, are different from, from others in the midst of this season. And so I'd love for you just to share a little bit about your, your burnout experience in, in pastoral ministry, and then I have a follow-up question on that. Yeah, I... Uh... Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of the people I've been walking with during the season are sitting in that chair, either on the verge of a burnout or, uh, or actually realizing now they've been spared in some ways through the change of uh, the dynamics of always being on the go. But in, in my case, my burnout happened 
uh, in an unanticipated way because uh, I hit the wall at age 50. That's kind of when I mark my burnout stretch. And now being 70, of course, there's been two decades of looking back on what led up to that and what are healthier ways of life. But I think for me, uh, I was confusing the adrenaline of, of some really good ministry with really being a healthy man. You know, sometimes at one level, when, whether it's in student ministry or any kind of ministry, and fruit is being born and there's good things happening, you're just not as aware of how much it is depleting you relative to a commitment to maintaining Sabbath rest and refreshment. And uh, I think for me, you know, I allowed the, in some ways, allowed the, the needs or the hunger to dictate the pace. And that's always a dangerous thing. Now, I, I think obviously right now, one of the reasons why pastors are being burnt out is the, the mid-course correction of how in the world do you maintain as much engagement with people when you don't have the freedom to gather corporately? So, I, you know, there, there are some things that would predict a burnout a little bit different than where mine was. But, uh, you know, it, it literally the words I would use to describe what it felt like was when I finally hit the wall. I mean, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I just realized I, I cannot go on. And, and of course, that was, uh, it was a good gift because I was not aware of that. I was, I was burning out before I burned out. Uh, uh, my wife realized it. I think my closest relationships saw it. But um, just, just living too far ahead of the pacing of the spirit which we can get into sometimes and we can spin it spiritually because we think, well, this is for the Lord. You know, wasn't Paul poured out, you know, mm -hmm. start justifying something that's unjustifiable. But yeah, so across the board, uh, mine caught me by surprise. Uh, it was far more a matter of looking back now, living a driven life and a called life. I mean, Jesus walked by obvious need to go into the mountains to be with his father. I stopped going to the mountains to be with my father. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and Scotty too, as you, you talked about Darlene, your wife uh, recognized the burnout. You had some friends who were kind of recognizing that. Maybe just speak to, to those friends out there who, who might be aware that, okay, they have a friend in their life who's about to burn out and they're seeing some indicators. How would they approach um, the, this person in, in ministry of kind of trying to caution them and try to slow them down? What, what's some counsel you give to them? Well, First of all, thank you for putting the question in that fashion because I think a mark of good friendship is we are willing to risk what it means to move towards one another. And sometimes we who ourselves who are not in a healthy place can see it mirrored in someone else. And that's really perhaps a strategic time for us to say, hey, here's what I sense and smell when I'm around you. I don't need to be right, but can we talk? Can we talk about how, you know, I don't feel like we are engaging from from heart or you're looking over my shoulder. You know, tell me what's going on with you. I want to I want to hear before I assume. So always to move towards someone to listen rather than to assume. But uh, we've just got to have a better rhythm of doing that, even preventively, John. I think that that should be a part of what we mean by uh, 
accountability. You know, we don't just need accountability for maintaining a commitment to the means of grace. We need to maintain accountability for believing the gospel and, and really, you know, to believe the gospel is going to mean, am I making time to enjoy the God who says he delights in me? And, and so uh, move towards one another. And I'm, I'm thankful that that's far more part of my rhythm now as someone that's kind of in a father mentoring role. I mean, uh, every single day I am calling leaders and checking in on them and praying with them. And because uh, I know how isolated I got uh, now, I know how uh, I had all kinds of excuses for living at that pace, but none of them were credible uh, by the line of the truth of the gospel. Mm. Yeah, that's some good counsel. And I know you've spoken about your gospel posse many times, and those are just other pastors in your life who, um, you know, get in your business, so to speak. Uh, but we, we need that, all of us. Well, I love how the book of Proverbs, I think it's in uh, still my favorite translation, old NIV 84, but one of the Proverbs uh, uses this unique phrase called a, a life-giving rebuke. When we really learn to give each other life-giving rebukes, we're not called to shame each other. We're not called to be the fourth member of the Trinity in each other's lives. <clears throat> but we care enough to say, again, how, how, how are you doing? No, shut up. How are you doing? Let, let, let's just get below the waterline of kind of the cursory, you know, hey, it's hard, COVID, what, what? No, no. How, how are you doing? And you know, we, you know, we... Um, those of us who are in the best position to do that uh, are usually those that live with a greater awareness of our own weakness and brokenness. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's like when, it's, a, it's a part of stewarding our own sin and repentance. You know, if, if I know my proclivity to get busy, to avoid, uh, to confuse doing things for Jesus, confuse that with being with Jesus, I, I can smell that somewhere else and, and, and not project it, but at least inquire enough. So yeah, that's, that's where our friendships need to go more without, you know, without pressuring people. I think sometimes when we, we can be under the wrong assumption that to move towards friends who are in a very difficult place, what, we, what, you know, what we don't want to feel a burden upon us is, is to fix them. We, we can't make anybody holy or happy but we can be present enough to give them an opportunity to hear the working of the spirit to call them to whatever change or whatever health needs to be embraced. And that's, that's, that's a key thing. I mean, I love that picture of Jesus, that um, smoldering wicks and bruised reeds loved his appearing. Isn't that a great image? Absolutely. I mean, we've all had people in our lives that you see them coming and you look down. You think, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> the Confederate general of discipleship is here. And, you know, and I, my quiet times have been sucking. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get beat up about quiet time righteousness. And that's the last thing we need hmm. as we <clears throat> go through um, these seasons of unique ministry and, and, and the changes that are in front of us that will be continuing long after COVID. Mm -hmm. And really, like you said, I mean, just kind of prefacing that as a life-giving rebuke. I mean, using the language of scripture of, I'm not here to shame you. You know, I'm here uh, as a brother uh, or sister giving you a life-giving rebuke. Um, I think, yeah, just using the language of scripture is, 
is helpful there. And kind of, kind of shifting from kind of counsel to those who might be doing the rebuking uh, to those maybe who need the rebuke. Uh, so kind of the scenario of, you know, if you had a room filled with pastors who are on the edge of burnout and maybe they're kind of realizing, maybe seeing some of these signs and they realize, okay, I might be getting close to burnout. What, what would you like to tell those doing ministry who are close to burnout? Yeah, I, I would I would want to do what Jack Miller was so faithful to do in my life, which is to lead with encouragement, to lead with weakness. You know, if I am a room full of pastors, you know, I would want to uh, uh, express great gratitude for what they do. I mean, it's it's only when you're in vocational ministry that you can understand a lot of the dynamics. You know, in many ways we get more. In many ways, we get more praise than we deserve, and we get more criticism than we deserve. And, and sometimes it feels like the criticism outweighs the praise. But I think it's just acknowledging, you know, brothers and sisters in ministry, thank you for doing what you do. It's hard. It's overwhelming. But your labors on the Lord are not in vain. So I want to start with encouragement. I'd also want to, um, and, and would, in, in fact, do, you know, talk through my own story, once again, being careful not to project, but Jack Miller was so, so gifted just to be able to say, you know what, I just want to share this part of ministry with you when I was just oblivious to what was going on, and here's how the Lord met me, here's how the gospel became more precious, here's some um, here's some, here's what living now at the pace of grace means for me. So s- something about showing up as someone who can s- continues to repent and is not just done their, with their repenting that I think becomes more of a, a plausible voice for people that are, you know, on the verge. And, and it's, you know, it, the, the obvious questions that go with that <clears throat> when you're with a group of pastors, just to invite them to consider where, where you know where the imbalance shows up, and 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 who's in the best position to help them reflect upon the fact that they've they've gotten um, you know some imbalance in their lives, whether if they're married, if it's a spouse, it's kids, whatever else. But you know, there's just any number of themes. It's not one size fits all because you know there are a lot of different reasons for burnout. Um, there are some seasons, John, that you will know that that truly are going to demand more of us. And it's not even a matter of becoming more balanced. There are seasons in ministry that are exhausting. but uh, And that's not going to change before heaven. But what can change is knowing there are seasons that will demand more of us. What are we doing proactively to put into place the kinds of things that Jesus clearly modeled and that we know we need to be about, you know, uh, uh, before, if someone, let me just say, if even I started with seven healthy pastors, let's just say, heck with a room full of bur- near burned out ones or on the verge of burnout. If I had seven healthy pastors before they're making a bunch of crazy mistakes, I, you know, would want to say to them, make sure you put in place now in your lifestyle a commitment to to walk intimately with Jesus, you know, to uh, to determine to live now with a clear commitment to uh, uh, the importance of Sabbath, and not so much as a day, but as a principle. I mean, I, I love the fact that before sin and death ever entered the world, Sabbath was a reality in the garden paradise, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 
there's every reason to expect uh, life in the new heaven and new earth that will continue to maintain certain degrees of rhythm of, of, of rest and and because uh, we're surely not going to be passive in the new earth we're going to be building new culture family will be complete mm-hmm. but, uh, so you know what are we doing to to build depth and not just breath and uh so these are just some of the things but but feel free to push in or yeah application on that well no, i'd love for you i mean one as you're starting to describe the new heavens and the new earth i'm thinking okay let's Let's get there. Jesus, come back. <laughs> now, that sounds like a pretty good picture. Um, but, but as you're talking about building new culture and family would be complete, could you just go down that path a little bit more and kind of unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, and I think, you know, that, that would be, that's another important part of this conversation because um, uh, looking at my burnout, I lost perspective on the ultimate end of the story in many ways. And there's something about seeing how, throughout scripture and mentioned the book of Revelation a moment ago, one of, one of the most beautiful things about Revelation is here, uh, John, an aging apostle, is uh, writing to a, uh, an intense season in the life of the young church. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, put COVID together, a presidential election, all the crazy in our culture right now, and magnify it a hundredfold, and maybe you have the end of the first century Rome. So, you know, let's, let's not talk about things are getting worse than ever. No, mm-hmm. I don't want to be there as the initial recipient to the book of Revelation. But in that book of Revelation, what we see is the importance of hope. And, you know, here John is in a highly inconvenient situation. Talk about his travel plans shutting down. He's on the Isle of Patmos. But the book of Revelation, it's this series of visions of the way things are now uh, in the intermediate state before the, the uh, throne of God and a sea of glass. And as they will be in fullness when Jesus finished make, finishes making all things new. And there's something about the power of hope that doesn't hurry us up, but slows us down and centers us. In other words, I think that a part of what... Uh, pondering, meditating upon life in the new heaven and new earth can do for us is to realize that, that uh, we, all, we all matter, but none of us is the point, that, that this history is continuing now. I don't need to think about new and creative ways to be successful, but old and timeless ways of being faithful. You know, I, something occurred to me this week, John, that I think is hugely telling for those of us that find ourselves busier or worried about how are we going to, what's the new church going to look like? What's the new face of youth ministry? It's important questions to consider what we do, but here's something that's not going to change no matter what happens. If there's three more viruses lining up behind this one, Um, God is the Lord of the history of redemption. And I think it was yesterday I read, uh, even the secular press have now confirmed there are a hundred million Christians in Iran right now. Uh, not a hundred million, excuse me, a million. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a little advanced numeration. There are a million believers in Iran right now against all odds. I mean, who, who would have thought 10 years ago that we would be talking about one of the places where the gospel is advancing, uh, you know, in, in extraordinary fashions would be in uh, a, a, a 
uh, highly Islamic, but also now growing, uh, uh, growing more secularized country of Iran. Now, I look at that and I realize um, that's, that's the stuff that the new earth smells like. God is redeeming his people from every race, tribe, tongue, and people group. And, and those of us in youth ministry, uh, that would translate into God is redeeming the most obnoxious middle school age kids. <laughs> God is redeeming uh, and has claimed uh, high school juniors and seniors that aren't even sure what they believe anymore. He is at work. Uh, we're not to take the pressure and burden upon us to fix that, but to continue to know that the gospel is the power of God and salvation, that all of history is tied to God's commitment to redeem as every nation family, and eventually to finish making all things new through Jesus. So I do believe, John, um, and in fact, I, get, I think it was, let's see, I used to get it confused if it was Richard Baxter or Samuel Rutherford. I think it was Richard Baxter, yeah, who was in prison 16 years for preaching the gospel. And during that time, he said, you know, um, as I get ready to get out of prison, or he didn't even know he was going to get out of prison when he said this, he said, I've come to believe that the best thing believers can do every day is to meditate upon the fullness of heaven 30 minutes every day, because it will impact how we do ministry more than anything else. And, and you know, I really believe that now. I believe that the more our hearts are filled with hope, the more we will be present with people, the more we will live not with a state of panic that we see increasingly, unfortunately, among many of God's people, you know, what, 55 days or so away from a national election, as though the history of the universe or history of America is going to be tied mm -hmm. to who's going to win this next election. Now, it's important, and as Christians, we engage in every aspect of the culture, but the more we really take the time to do what John did in a very inconvenient context on the Isle of Patmos, which is to smell, to hear, to describe, to marinate, to ruminate in the beauty of the visions of Scripture. It does center us and then move us forward where we're not looking to be, uh, you know, uh, shielded from pain and suffering. No, I mean, I, I think the freedom we're talking about will be to put us in a place where we too might be among those who are described as not loving their lives unto death. But that doesn't mean we burned out because we lost perspective and got redoubled our effort. This means that in faithful service to Jesus, some of us are going to die for no other reason than because we name the name of Jesus. Mm. Others of us are going to be in seasons of ministry when we're going to sneeze and 10 kids are going to come to Christ <laughs> and we're going to be foolish enough to think that was a great talk I gave. <laughs> Others of us like myself are going to crawl out of the pulpit sometime and uh, think that is the suckiest sermon that's ever been preached in the history of homiletics. And we'll, you know, get a report later that, you know, three grandmothers were raised from the dead. Now, <laughs> metaphorically or spiritually, <laughs> You know, the, you know, a sense of humor to know the history of redemption continues. The gospel is not just the gospel of privatized uh, launching into heaven when I die. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, I think that's one of the things that I've been able to do during the season, to spend more time thinking, listening, seeing. I mean, uh, scriptures are highly sensory. And if we no longer 
if we have yet to begin to smell the grass of the new earth barreling towards us, we're, we're, we're living too fast. Mm. Uh, such, such a good word, several good things there that I'd love to just camp out on individually. Um, I did want to, before we leave this question of burnout, you know, I'm thinking about, and you, you've kind of hinted at some of this and said some of this, that, you know, burnout happens in a subtle way. You know, I'm thinking as I look back and I see points of, you know, burnout in my own ministry, low points in my own ministry, as I can look back, I can see just subtle, you know, cynicism, sarcasm, it just builds over time. And so maybe just before we move on from this, what are some of those subtle indicators? I know they'll be unique to every individual, but maybe just throw out some of those subtle indicators that those in ministry can look out for. Yeah, I, I think not being able to relax, uh, not being able to turn it off. Uh, being on vacation and still thinking about, you know, all the different responsibilities, uh, letting criticism wear on us more than God's delight uh, being brought into our souls. I think uh, for me, uh, I did not attend to the fact that I wasn't sleeping very much. And I, I kind of even spun that to think, oh, great, I only need three hours of sleep. Look how much more I can do. I can get up and write more or be more busy when actually I, you know, I was depressed. And so I think uh, attitudes, you mentioned that, be very careful when bitterness, when resentment, when we get triggered easily, uh, when we find ourselves reacting to things that just don't make sense. You know, when, when you're driving somewhere and uh, you're behind slow drivers and you're wanting to call down fire from heaven. I mean, <laughs> Where is this anger? Where are, where's the cynicism coming from? Because below those very important emotions, there's lurking probably some idle structures we've been fertilizing, uh, or there's just the signs of, I am unhealthy. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating well. I'm depending on too much sugar and caffeine or too much bourbon. You know, I'm doing something that shows that I have, uh, I'm not enjoying the Lord. I mean, I think you've heard me say this before, but that, that NIV Bible I still carry around. The only quote I ever wrote down from Jack Miller uh, in this whole Bible was, I remember Jack saying this in class. Uh, he said, uh, you know, what will all our labors avail if we're no longer enjoying the Lord? Mm. And uh, we in our tradition are very comfortable with the language to chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But, you know, we celebrate that as a part of our tribe, but it's a profound statement, you know, uh, uh, enjoying the Lord. And if I'm not enjoying the Lord, that, that's, a, that's a sign of danger. And, and that's going to show up, uh, again, as I relate to my spouse's longings. Do I find myself subtly, if I'm married, do I find myself subtly resenting uh, a spouse who wants more time with me or, or comments on the fact that I'm, I don't seem to be present. I mean, those are important things, you know, God puts in our lives, our spouses, our friends, our kids. And, um, but, you know, just yeah, attitudes, uh, just, uh, I would say also be aware of uh, how we suddenly get involved in medicating pain. And uh, I kind of alluded to that, but you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, you know, many of us, uh, you know, can, can look back and say, you know what, I, you know, I kind of convinced myself because I wasn't going to massage parlors 
but there's occasional visits to some websites that were just kind of soft porn. They weren't really, you know, the real raw stuff. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to, I was just enjoying beauty. No, you know, there are, there are ways, John, that we slide into and then jump into things that we think will give relief, but they really don't. And, uh, there's any number of these telltale sounds, but, but they don't have to be grand. It's just hideous sin. Sometimes they are, uh, I just refuse to sleep well. You know, I would rather stay awake and get more done. That, that, that's, you know, three hours, excuse me, 72 hours without REM sleep can put you in a position to begin hallucinating. Mm. So you got to be careful. Mm, yeah, so so many good things there. Uh, not only the subtle nature of it, but the way in which we can justify things that aren't healthy. Uh, so so good for us to reflect on that. Um, look, Scotty, anytime I get around you, I want to ask you about prayer. Um, I'm sure many listeners are, are thinking this as well. And I know last time we spoke about this, and even this time, we talked about how this pandemic is is forcing us to slow down and you know, some of us have used that time for, for prayer a bit more. And I do feel like we were, you know, starting to get back to normal in some ways. And so the pace of life is going to, to speed up a bit and maybe prayer will drop off there. So how have you sought to make prayer a consistent part of your day? Do you have specific times that you set aside, just some, some practices that could be helpful for us? Uh, to share? Yeah, I want to say thank you for asking. Uh, it's always a dangerous thing to have, some books published on prayer and to have a <laughs> daily blog, a prayer blog. But, you know, the truth is I'm allergic to prayer. I'm allergic to uh, really listening. I'd rather speak than listen. But so God, you know, a part of my recovery from my burnout was to have to slow down enough to begin to consider, you know, the uh, internal reality of my world. And uh, so I was invited uh, into by God's Spirit, I think uh, a season, great season, season of listening. It's a part of getting good counseling and beginning to live in a different way. And and what of course did evolve was a, a structure towards my day that I still enjoy very much, uh, uh, which is I, I'm, I'm an early riser, and there's no I don't think I would never make a case for people that really love Jesus get up before anybody else. My wife happens to be uh, uh, more, uh, I think, able to connect deeply with the Lord in the evening. So uh, whatever the rhythm of our personality, Enneagram number, Myers-Briggs letters, whatever else, key thing is to know that um, prayer, first and foremost, is fellowshipping with our Father and Jesus by the Spirit. Uh, Writing this study guide now on 1 John, I've been smitten again with that language how first john even begins when john's inviting those who are being under the influence of some false teaching in a world on the cusp of great persecution and he says you know we're, we're we're inviting you to fellowship and our fellowship is with the father and his son and um you know i i needed to be convinced of that um to be allergic to prayer usually means there's a more uh, stubborn allergy. It's an allergy to grace. We don't really believe God wants us as much as he says he does. We want to convince kids of that and their parents, but we need it. So for me, what began to happen was getting up earlier just to 
do what Jack Miller discipled me in, but I never really practiced until I needed to, which was learning to pray the scriptures. I used to think that a good prayer life was going to be just the spontaneous flow of, of you know, of, uh, uh, oh gosh, valley of vision prayer life, you know, <laughs> you know, going to sound like an English Puritan just to put time for it. And really, you know, we can't do any better than spraying the scriptures. And so I started um, uh, um, over a decade ago in a fresh way, just getting up and just meditating the scripture and just praying it back to the Lord. Now, because I am ADD, what emerged was, uh, you know, I think I need to be actually writing prayer to the Lord because it's going to slow me down. I connect head and heart and hands. And so now my rhythm is uh, I, I do get up early somewhere between 4 and 4.30 and spend about an hour preparing my heart. Uh, that will eventuate into uh, a prayer that I do publish. And then I go for a five-mile walk out of that. And I, and I try to ponder and think, okay, more about what I just thought. And, and I will put more words together that ends up becoming, John, a part of what you and Michael get this little gospel carpet bonding. I just, you know, I'm thinking <laughs> of words to connect my heart. So, you know, uh, and let me hasten to say this. I, uh, I'm no longer a senior pastor. My responsibilities have changed. Uh, you know, I, I can... I can realistically look at the beginning of my day saying the first two hours from when I get up, you know, I can, I can, I can attend to prayer and reflection and meditation and I can, I can share this with others. We, we don't all have the same schedule. Some of us have uh, preschool age kids at home. Some of us have, you know, we're in different seasons of life, but I can say this, no matter what our providential arrangement is, uh, the discipline of making time to be still and knowing that God is God. Uh, that's just a kind of what runs through a lot of what I believe now to be a, a rich prayer life. It's really letting my heart see the wonder and the beauty of the Trinity to hear the Lord talk to me a whole lot more about what he has done and is doing than me formulating a plan to tell him, here's what a better version of me is going to look like. Mm. So I don't really, in, in prayer now for me, I don't make a lot of promises to God. Uh, I would say, um, and, and, and I don't really want this to change a lot. Probably 75% of my prayer life now is more meditation and worship mm. and actual intercession. I, I, I try to live with a heart of spontaneous intercession during the day, praying for and praying with individuals. And, uh, but that, you know, um, I think it becomes oxygen for us, age and stage. I think far better now to say, I'm going to set aside 15 minutes to ponder the beauty of Jesus, whatever that means, to start that now so that perhaps uh, as we get older, you know, it's more our instinct to say, I just, I've got literally too much to do not to pray. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that will be a sign of growth and grace when, when we are, walking more with a conscious awareness of the delight of our God, we really repent quicker. You know, yeah. I think during the day, that's one of the things that smart Darlene and I in our marriage, we don't have less to repent of. We just repent quicker. And part of that because we, we are wanting to live with a more of a meditative, pondering posture. Uh, you, you get my daily prayers and, you know, I have a fondness for the word marination. 
And uh, as a grilling person, I love to marinate a good piece of meat, but I also want to marinate my heart. And if we're not living with that rhythm, you know, it's going to catch up with us and we'll just be ministering out of an old file cabinet of talks that we're just repackaging. So, Amen to that. that that's very encouraging. And, and sometime we're going to have to have a podcast talking about grilling. Uh, I forgot that you're a griller as yeah, well. We could, I would love to do that. We'll talk about, you know, yeah, grilling fish and meat and, and, and marinades we have known, marinades of all kinds of great flavors, but also marinating in the grace of Jesus. Amen to that. Yeah. And, and so, Scotty, I know we're starting to wrap this up before too long, but taking some of what you just said and kind of maybe bringing it on a more practical level, you know, how can youth workers and parents assist in imparting a passion for a prayer life to this next generation, to, to yeah. younger students? I know you're a father, you have grandchildren as well. And so just kind of bringing those, those things together. Um, what are some thoughts there? Yeah, I, I will, again, pass on what I've learned and seen in others. Uh, Jack Miller, again, impacted me more with the beauty of prayer than anyone else. And I think um, our kids, our grandkids, uh, or, or whoever's in our ministry, I think the more they're going to be, uh, this sounds cliche, but it's not, more is caught than is taught. So in other words, uh, you know, I think um, the more our kids, our grandkids, our friends, whoever else, or people under our ministries, s- smell something about us that's like the aroma of grace. Like, you know, I, when I hear you talk about God, you, you, you know, there's, there's something, there's a familiarity there. There's an awe, but you like you know him. And, and so, the, you know, how, how we pray, or are we too self-conscious when we pray at the dinner table? You know, are we praying at people? Or are we enjoying the Lord? What does it sound like even when we give thanks for food? Does that, that really sound like uh, I'm really thankful for the taste of cheesecake or I'm afraid I'll get indigestion if I don't pray? So uh, praying for, praying around, you know, we, we tell our grandkids all the time, you know, hey, I want, let's pray about that right now. So just the very fact that we can create an atmosphere that prayer is conversation, it's listening, it's delighting, it's enjoying. Uh, I, I, I certainly would not, I would not, you're not, I don't want you to hear me say there should not be clear instruction, instruction on the discipline of prayer, but, but I, you know, I never want to teach the discipline of prayer apart from the delight of prayer. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jack kept hammering and those of us he discipled. Your father wants to be with you, you know, prayer as fellowshipping with your heavenly father. And so uh, by practice, by uh, precedent by simply uh making sure we don't feel make people feel guilty for not praying but really exploring more fully the different atmosphere it's just it's the discipline of gratitude you know uh sometimes i want my grandkids when i'm fishing with them and fortunately all my grandkids love fishing so raising them up in good wisdom but uh we'll just talk about you know then, you know, it looks like God hand-painted that trout. You know, there's just ways of just showing a consciousness of thanksgiving and awareness that really invites um, people around us to know that, you know, oh, man, that's, that's not just me feeling guilty if I didn't pray for my grandfather and the fact that I don't know if he's a believer. That's probably not a responsibility. Be free from all that stuff. Mm. 
Mm, that is so good. Scotty, look, I really appreciate you taking the time out today. So grateful for you, your friendship, your, your ministry. Um, and I know others will be blessed by this conversation. So thanks for taking the time today. Oh, good to be with you, John, and uh, look forward to the next one already. Absolutely. Take care. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay. For the King has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave. For the King has opened his